with me this morning to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 is where we're going to start this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. As we've studied the book of Colossians, we've learned that that the emphasis of the book of Colossians is the fact that Jesus Christ is the head. In studying the book of Colossians, we have learned of His supremacy in all things. The entire book of Colossians is about His supremacy. The book of Colossians is about His sufficiency. The book of Colossians is about His headship over His body, which is what, which is what we're part of, the church. The book of Colossians is about our identification with Christ, with His death, with His burial, with His resurrection, with His ascension, with His uh, uh, glorification. When we finally make it to chapter 3, we're going to talk about, and we might even do that this morning, we're going to talk about that glorification. Because God's Word is very clear. When He shall appear, then we're going to appear with Him where? In glory. In glory. We get to participate in that. And folks, again, there's so much here in the book of Colossians that should put us on shouting ground, that should cause us to be excited, energetic, thankful about who we are in Christ and all that's in store for us as members of the body, of the body of Christ. In the book of Colossians, we have found that we're to let no man rob you, you're to let no man judge you, and you're to let no man beguile you. So we're going to be breaking down those three don't do's here this morning. Don't let anyone rob you. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone beguile you. And the way we avoid that is recognizing that we are complete in Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and as members of the body of Christ, we fill up that body. He's the head. We make Christ who He is, according to Ephesians. What a, what a glorious doctrinal truth that is. As He directs and guides and leads us, in our daily walk of service to Him. Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 15. Verse 14 talked about the fact that He's blotted out the handwriting of ordinances, the law that was against us. We couldn't satisfy the law. There's no way to be justified according to the law because we can't keep it. But Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, did. And on the cross, as we talked about last week, not only that song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Folks, you need to understand, when he was on the cross, you were there. Your sin was there. And he has blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, contrary to us. And he took them out of the way, nailing it, nailing them. To the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. We have died to sin. We are alive unto God. We, because Christ died, the law no longer has any 
a, a, a condemnation over those who are in Christ. What a perfect salvation that is that the Scriptures teach us that we have. Verse 15, not only do we have that perfect salvation in Christ, we have the fact that He has spoiled the principalities and powers that enemy that was against us, the evil dignitaries in the heavenly sphere, they've been conquered. They've been conquered. And the powers that we wrestle against have been openly triumphed over by our Savior, by the head of the body. And our hope, our faith, our trust is in Him, the one who has spoiled those principalities. We can safely trust in Him. I was studying that this week and going through it, and I got a phone call from a sweet, sweet, precious lady who, who heard about us on the radio. And I mean, she was precious, but she was concerned that she might be demon-possessed. And so she wanted to talk to me about that. So I had an opportunity to talk to her about, about a believer cannot be demon-possessed, uh, that, that, that she belongs to Christ, that, she, that in order for a demon to possess uh, her, he would have to possess Christ. She's in Christ. And I had just been studying that, and she called. And, and again, I think that's a God thing. And God is awesome, and He leads us in those, uh, in, in those directions. But she, she called and she said, I could not get a hold of Franklin Graham. I could not get a hold of Charles Stanley. So I called you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Pat, yeah I, I just, oh, bless her heart. She was so precious. I said, well, I'll call Franklin for you. And she, no, I didn't say that. But I got a chance to tell her that those powers that she's afraid of, that enemy that she's concerned about, just remind him of the cross. Remind him that the tomb is empty and that you have no power here, that I'm a child of God. I am in the body of Christ. I have been sealed there till the day of redemption. You have no authority here. Folks, I've got to tell you, the victory that is in those truths. And hopefully, she rejoiced over that. The victory is ours in Christ, for He is the victor. And I was able to remind her that greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. I have often thought that because you don't want to add to scripture you don't want to make it say something that he doesn't say but when I say that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world you really want to put a whole bunch of exclamation points behind that don't you you want to make it just seem much bigger you want to shout that much louder because it needs to be pronounced in that fashion that greater is the Lord Jesus he read it again and having spoiled 
principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? In what? The cross. The cross. I don't know if Satan went oops or not. I don't know if he went, oh. But I'm telling you something. What took place on Calvary's cross is that blood flowed as he paid the debt I owed, as he gave his life a ransom for my sins, as he paid the debt that I owed. It had to cause Satan to shake, to tremble. And when that tomb rolled back, that stone rolled back, revealing that it's empty, that it's empty, that yes, the perfect Lamb of God, the one that sin did not have a claim on, the wages of sin is death. Oh, there was no sin. Death can't hold him. He's gone. That, that's, he, the stone didn't roll back in order for Christ to come out. He was already gone. The stone was rolled back in order for them to see he's gone. He's gone. And again, I'm sure Satan must have gone. Who was he going to blame? He probably said, the devil made me do Oh, no, I can't do that. Having spoiled principalities and powers. The enemy defeated. And we need to realize in our daily walk, in our daily lives, that the enemy is absolutely defeated. We talked in, about in Romans where it said you're to reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin. That the old man has been nailed to the cross. You need to understand who you are in Christ and the power of the resurrection that exists in your daily lives as you walk according to the Spirit, not after the flesh. But the enemy is defeated. The victory is sure. Salvation is secure. Now God's Word tells us to do something. What does He tell us to do? Look at Romans, I mean Ephesians chapter 6. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, believer. We have more instruction here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Yes, those powers and authorities have been defeated. They've been spoiled. They have been put off. They have been cast aside. But finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil are those cunning devices. Those cunning devices. Those mechanisms that he has in order to trip us up and cause us to fall. <laughs> Not from salvation. Amen. And, and you know how he knows where to attack? We tell him. We're the ones who broadcast that. We're the ones who say, here's where I'm weak, where the flesh is weak. Satan doesn't, he can't read your mind. He doesn't know your heart. Only thing he can do is observe your actions. So you put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the methods and the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities 
and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I keep wanting to stress, I keep wanting to make sure we understand that Satan is the god of this world. He is the prince and power of the air. He has authority. There are principalities. There are authorities. That there is spiritual warfare that, that is going on constantly. And what we have is the power of God. We have our position in Christ. Yes, we should be concerned about the world and the direction the world is going. The direction this nation's going. It shouldn't surprise us when you consider who the God of this world is. It shouldn't surprise us when we know how destructive and evil our enemy is. Matter of fact, it should surprise us how good it's been up until now. But who do you think stirs up the bitterness? Who do you think stirs up the hatred? Who do you think stirs up all the agitation and all the stuff that's going on? You already know, don't you? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So all that's going on, you need to understand who is at the head of it. Who's pushing this? It is our enemy. We stand against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And as we've talked about before, Romans 16. Romans 16 tells us something that we, ever, we, we always need to be mindful of. Here's the reason the enemy hates you so violently. Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace, and God has supplied us that peace that passes understanding. God has supplied us with that peace with him no longer enemies, but in interesting, the Holy Spirit uses that, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. No wonder he hates the church, the body of Christ, that God is going to bruise Satan, and that has to do with legal subjection. That has to do with putting him in his place. God is going to use the church, the body of Christ, to do just that. No wonder he hates you, and he knows it. He knows what God the Father is going to use to put him in his place. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Paul told the church in Corinth that one of the things that we're going to be doing in glory is judging angels. The fallen, that's, that's part of what we're going to be spending eternity doing. That's scriptural. No wonder he hates us. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Now let's start with verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, 
who created all things by Jesus Christ. First of all, you need to go, hey, what mystery is he talking about? Because that's eye-opening, folks. Who created all things by Jesus Christ. Verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, they're there, they're there. I can't give you a description of them. I can't tell you how, but they're part of the angelic host. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So when he pronounced judgment, when he spoiled those principalities, when he hung on the cross, when he paid that debt, what that spoke of was the manifold wisdom of God. What you, the church, the redeemed church, the body of Christ, what you declare to not just to a lost world or to a world in general, what you declare even to the principalities and powers, what you declare to the entire universe are two things. Two things. One is the manifold wisdom of God. Just how smart God is. Satan thought he was smart. He got Adam to rebel. But God, from before the foundation of the world, had a plan, a purpose that was going to show how smart God is. That's the one thing. It's what you do. You describe the manifold wisdom of God. The second thing you do, according to Ephesians 2, is you show the exceeding riches of His grace. So you show God how, you, you show all of creation how smart God is. Church, you show God, you show all of creation how gracious God is. That's a pretty good purpose, isn't it? Aren't you glad to be part of that purpose? That, you say, I don't know what my purpose in life is. That's it. That's it. To show the universe how brilliant God is and how gracious God is. The manifold wisdom of God. 1 Peter 1.12, we won't go there, but 1 Peter 1.12 talks about the fact that, that, that uh, he preached to, uh, I mean, 1 Peter 3.19 talks about the fact that, that Christ preached to the spirits in prison. And what he heralded there, he didn't preach as in evangelism or the gospel. He went there when he died. He was buried. God's word says he went to the spirits um, and he proclaimed his victory. His victory. 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that the angels are so interested in the gospel that they look into it. Because all of creation was affected. All of creation suffers because of the fall. All of creation groans, but it is the blood of Christ. It is the salvation we have in Him. It is in Him that the eternal fix is in. And I say that in a good way, because He does it on His own. Having spoiled principalities. Wasn't going to spend that much time on that verse, but boy, that's a good verse. 
but they all are. Verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man judge you because of the law. You have to understand that the Judaizers were coming up into Colossae. They were coming into Philippi. They were going into Ephesus. They were, the, these Judaizers were going all over telling these Gentile believers, oh, you've got to obey the law of Moses. You've got to be circumcised. You have to do this and this and this and this and this. And well, you've got to obey the, you, you, you have to live according to the feast days and, and the Sabbath and, and, all, and, and the law. And they had a wicked way of trying to destroy those early believers and distort, not destroy, distort the truth of God's word. Apostle Paul tells them, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon. When it says, let no man rob you, a little bit earlier up, that was talking about worldly philosophies and the traditions of men, the unnecessary rules that men try to put on, on behavior. Really, it, what, what, when it says, let no man rob you, uh, back up in, in verse 8, you know, it's talking about humanism. It's talking about the religion of humanism. When the Scripture says there's a way that's right unto man, but the ways thereof leads to destruction, it's man saying, well, we know what we need to do. And when they basically worship man. They, it's, it's called humanism and the philosophies of, of what you can do to, to better yourself, i got news for you. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can make yourself a better human being, but that better human being still falls far short of the glory of God. So when God's Word says, beware lest any man rob you through philosophy and through tradition, and then through the rudiments of the world. That's, that's talking about philosophy. That's talking about these meaningless tra- traditions that man has. Now when it says, let no man judge you, it's talking about religions and philosophy and all these things that, that will deceive you and draw you away from Christ. All, this, this Judaism, what the Judaizers were portraying, this false, well, this gospel, this truth that they were taking up to them uh, in Colossae, uh, they, were, they were broadcasting that, and Paul says, let them be accursed for what they were taking up there and proclaiming because it was take, p- having people take their minds and their eyes off the complete and finished work of Christ that we're complete in Him. There's actually nothing else you can do to, to improve your standing before God. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You have been placed in Him. You have been sealed in Him until the day of redemption. You are perfect in Christ. You are complete in Him. Oh, no, 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 no. What we, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. Paul is saying, don't you listen to them. 
Don't you listen to anybody that tells you you need to do anything other than believe in the complete and finished work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's cross. Because see, then man wants to do. A man wants to say, look what I did. I earned it. I worked for it. By my efforts, I obtained nothing when it comes to improving your standing before God. My standing before God is absolutely dependent upon my trust in Christ Jesus and me standing in Him and understanding that the payment of my sins took place on Calvary's cross. And the moment I believed, the Holy Spirit took me and placed me into the body, sealed me there until the day of redemption, placed me in that body where God would have me to be used. That's the certainty of my salvation that I have because of who I am in Christ Jesus. All, verse 16 is all about the Mosaic Law. The Judaizers were at it again. They were trying to impose their legal restrictions on the church, the body of Christ. And Paul was saying, don't have anything to do with, with that. All of these things, he, he, he says, uh, in respect to holy days or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. Those were all types concerning the kingdom of heaven and all the things that pertain to Israel and what is going to be taking place, what is can be, what's being pointed to in that kingdom that's going to be coming to earth. But he says, but you are the body of Christ. And based on what he said, you are the body of Christ. You're complete in Christ. You don't, those things warrant nothing toward who you are in Christ. Those are all a shadow of things to come. Those are all tied to, to the future kingdom when Christ the Messiah sits on a throne and rules and reigns. And those types that these were a shadow of, they're going to see the fulfillment during, this, during that kingdom. But you're the body. You're completing Christ. And rejoice in that truth. So let no man judge you in meat or in drink. Verse 18. Let no man beguile you or deceive you in your reward in a voluntary humility in the worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Boy, if that doesn't describe man-made religion, I don't know what does. Because that's exactly what he's, he's talking about that. Don't let anyone beguile you of your prize. What is, what is your prize? What is your reward? Your reward is the fact that you are perfect, complete in Christ. Don't let somebody come along and try to add anything to your standing. Don't let anybody come and deceive you and say, Oh, but you've got to do this. Or you gotta, you, 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 you got to do these things in order to be made right with God. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility or in, in, in acting religious. False, corrupt religions. There's such a danger. They're appealing, unfortunately, they're appealing because it allows man to try to slap him on the back, which is really, self on the back, which is really hard to do. What's that thing you say, Linda? You can't do, you can't 
pat yourself on the back? What, what, you, what is that? I was going to use that, and then my mind just went. You, you, you can't pat yourself on the back. There was one other thing you can't do either, and I can't remember. Oh, oh right, you can't kick yourself. Yeah, see, so you, you can't pat yourself, you can't congratulate yourself, and you can't punish yourself. Let no man beguile you, deceive you of your reward in their voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. See, they, see, we don't worship angels, but people go around, look how spiritual I am, why I have this angel, and, and we light this candle, and we do this to that. God's Word says that's a bunch of nonsense. It's false. And not only is it false, folks, it's deadly. It's deadly as we try to proclaim attempt to proclaim the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let no man beguile you. What a warning against false, corrupt religions. Doing things that are adding to God's plan. Verse 20, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, and that's what the other portion was all about, our identification with Him. You are dead with Christ. And Christ dies no more. You are dead with Christ. Now consider yourself alive unto God. What a position to be in. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, spiritually dead from the rudiments of the world, and why is though Living in the world, you are subject to ordinances. Why do you place yourself back under the law? If you're dead with Christ, the law has no more jurisdiction over someone that dies. We talked about that last week. Touch not, taste not, handle not. All those things will perish when using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, I'm going to read that last verse. I'm going to do something that I very seldom do. But I'm going to read that last verse out of the New American Standard. Okay? Usually there's a cycle. <gasps> so don't tell CJ. Don't tell CJ. But it does a good job. Colossians chapter 2, verse 23. Let's start with verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the element, elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to degrees such as or decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters. Here's verse 23. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, 
that are of no value against fleshly indulgences. These things, the worshiping of angels, the self-abasement, this asceticism, all, all of those things, they may look like dedicated religious religious activity, but they're not doing anything to help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not doing anything in, as, as you are to avoid the things of the flesh and walk in the Spirit. They do absolutely nothing for you, is what God's Word is saying here. Asceticism is the practice of self-denial as a measure of spirituality. Whether people are whipping themselves or they are denying themselves where something that makes them look pious, makes them look holy, makes them look like they're doing by, by, by denying themselves, that makes them look like they love God more. And God's Word says that doesn't do anything for your walk. It doesn't make you any more holy. <laughs> You're already perfectly holy in Christ. You're already perfectly righteous in Christ. That's the whole point of what Paul is trying to do, what Paul is saying here. So he, for, in Colossians 2, he tells us what not to do as believers. Don't involve in the, yourself in these false religions that pat themselves on the back or punish themselves or do anything to try to add to the perfect salvation we have in Christ. Here's what we do. Chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, and again, that if is in the indicative mood, which means you'd assume the hypothesis as being actual. It's like since. Since you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. See, that is the measure of true spirituality. That is the measure of a person who has been blood-bought. They delight in the things of Christ. You... You have been risen with Christ. Your position is seated with Him in the heavenlies. Therefore, you seek those things which are above. That's where your mind is to be. That's where Christ is. You're to seek Him. You're to know Him. You're to depend on Him. You're not to depend on, on what you can do through religious acts to make you more spiritual because you'll fall flat on your face and those spiritual acts are not going to help you with the war that you have against the enemy and against your own flesh. The only thing that's going to help you is identifying who you are in Christ Jesus and realizing that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit, only through His indwelling, powerful working and action in your life that there is victory in your daily walk. If ye then be risen with Christ, here's what you do. You seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Those things, in Philippians chapter 8, look at Philippians chapter 8. What things are we to talk 
think on. Philippians chapter, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That's God's instructions to us. If ye then be risen with Christ, that's His way of saying, if you are a, if you have been made a new creation, then you are to think on those things. I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, the flesh says, oh, no, 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 no. The flesh says, we like to think on these other things. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. What God's Word tells us to think on things, to think on Him. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Because to the letter to church in Ephesus, he told them, you're seated. You're seated with Christ. In As a matter of fact, look there. Don't take my word for it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Just so you have a cross-reference. Start with verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your position this very moment. You talk about victory. That's what we have. In Christ Jesus. Verse 2, set your, uh, Colossians 3, verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind, the things that you love, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I used to hear, I haven't heard it lately, and I've shared this with you before. I'll share it, and then we'll be done, and we'll pick back up there next week. But I've heard many, many times during my life referring to someone, they'd go, why, that man, he, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. You ever heard that? He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. I'm here to tell you, believer, that's not possible. Not according to what God's Word says. Set your affection, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The problem we have is so, so many people are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. That, there's some truth to that. But for a believer, for somebody who loves it, the Lord Jesus, who desires to serve Him, what this Scripture teaches us is where we are to set our affection, to set our minds. Even, and Paul was writing this over 2,000 years ago. And folks, it's just as true today, especially as difficult as these times are. I, I mean, I, I confess. I get on Facebook and I see things 
the people are writing. And really all it does is it just stirs up more strife and more aggravation. And it just makes me more angry. Whereas believers, we need to just understand that all the stuff that's going on today is just getting us one step closer, one moment closer to the return of our Lord Jesus for the church, His body, where we're going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. Even so, come quickly. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times a day I say that. But it's genuine. Even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, let me encourage you to set your mind on things in heaven, not on things on the earth. Because we're about to leave this place. And I think in the not so distant future. So we pray for our family. Amen. We pray for our lost friends. We pray for those who continue to reject the, the gospel as we share it with them, that, that the Holy Spirit will just move on their hearts and on their minds. We pray faithfully serving. So we keep waiting, we keep working, we keep watching with our minds set in heaven. We're going to pick up with this next verse next week. Verse 4, or verse 3, for, you're, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's a very interesting scripture that we need to ask ourselves. Is my life hid with Christ in God? And the way you know that for sure is you do exactly what God's Word says you have to do in order to be saved, and that's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe the gospel. Believe that you're a sinner. Believe that Christ died for sinners. Believe that He died for you, that He was buried for you. He rose again, and you believe that by faith. And then it's God who does His amazing, glorious work in your life to begin conforming you to the image of His Son. Let's pray. Father... We come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it reveals to us that it's not religious activity. It's not religion that says, Father, it's having that perfect relationship with you. Father, may we never preach religion, but may we ever preach relationship, having that peace with God and that peace of God. Father, may we be faithful. And we love you this morning. We're thankful for Calvary. We're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for your shed blood. We're thankful that the tomb is empty. Father, in these trying times, keep us focused on those things that are important, and that is your word. And Father, may we be faithful. May we understand what's going on. May we recognize what's happening. But Father, may that just spur in us an urgency to want to share the gospel with those who are so desperate to hear.
And Father, we pray these things in that name that's above all other names. We pray these things in that name that every knee is going to bow to and every tongue is going to confess to. To your glory, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all, we pray. Amen.